This is our Suburb Trends Report for November 2021 and we'll be looking at where prices are moving across the country, either up or down, and why they're moving. And in this episode, we'll be discussing building activity and the renovation factor in price growth. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecaster report, which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au This month, we've asked Kent to look into the impact renovations have on price growth, but as is often the case, when we ask what seems like a simple question, Kent discovers that things are never quite that straightforward. So, Kent, can you kick us off by briefly explaining how you've tackled this challenge? Yes, so the data I went for is the building approval data. Now, that's mixed up. I'm just doing my reading from my cheat sheet here, but it's data that's collected through and presented through the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Now, Um, What they've got is a data set that breaks down to a a geographical area, which is called a statistical area two and above. And I'm, for today, I'm looking at an area called an SA3, which we speak about often. Now, this data set contains construction of new buildings as a, a total, and they present this as a count and also a dollar value. So the data that we're talking about today is the dollar value. The data set also has alterations and additions to existing buildings, i.e. the renovation stuff, and then approved non-structural renovation and refurbishment. So what I was trying to do to meet out the, the, the scope of what we were trying to do and outline for the show was to remove the new buildings and just isolate those other two. I couldn't do that. I, I went through, I spent a few hours trying to extract it from the ABS data. I couldn't do it. But that didn't stop the show. Um, so what I've done is I've grabbed it, I've created some maps, and what we can do is extrapolate and learn from a lot of the, the, this particular data set, al- align that to areas that are not traditional or well-known house and land areas. And if we look at those, you, you'll gain some insights to say how much money is being spent in these Uh, built-up areas, these established suburbs or regions, and then compare and contrast that to how their price movements are, and then also then look across the country using these maps at where some of the building activity is at its peak. I mean, I think it's a really interesting topic because if you, uh, what drives median prices isn't just people paying more money, it's also people renovating their houses and spending more money and increasing the value of that that building um, and then increasing the value of the, the property and that's pushing the median price up with so assuming that no one's paying any more for property they're just paying more because they're uh, buying you know better asset in some sense actually being built and so I think it's a really thing that's lost um, in markets that are spending a lot of money on buildings they're pushing median prices up because the housing stocks are increasing in value well some of the money being spent will surprise a lot of people. There's, yep. you know, and the trends the trends of the amount of money uh, being approved, the spend is huge. Yep. So I think it's an inter- interesting factor. And what we've seen through previous shows, and one of the things I think it was only two shows ago, we looked at how much the apartment space was masking. The median price of apartments is, is a real furphy in a lot of areas because you've got so many 
uh, of the established dwellings or established apartments coming on at less than what they list for, yet the medians for those suburbs continue to grow up because we're including new stock. Yeah. Similar principles apply to housing. Now, even if you applied that perfect Case-Shiller repeat sales index and you paired it to the same property, you still need to account for, well, how much people did people spend on that property, mm. uh, either through a formal building approval or a non-formal fixing of the bathroom? Well, that's the thing is oh. that we don't even have these in our data, <laughs> right, Kent? Like, because you don't, it's hard to get that data, you know, like people are doing cosmetic, doing kitchens, bathrooms mm. that don't need approval and that's, you know, landscaping, you know, lots of things. You um, And even the building approvals, like, it's not always the actual cost, is it? You know, like you've got architect fees, you've got lots of other fees, um, you know, other subby trades that you don't have to include. Um, you know, when you did your build, Veronica, you don't have to give the exact numbers of what you spent, but what do you reckon you spent on top of the actual cost that you declared to the council, I guess? I should know this off the top of my head, but it would... Okay, there's a couple of different factors here one is the the consultants costs yep. so architects and you know various consultants that you need to get various reports and all the rest of it now probably and i should really know this stuff shouldn't i because i talk about <laughs> understand mm-hmm. knowing these these figures well in excess of 50 grand you know yep. well in excess of 50 grand um okay so that's just on the architect and the consultants yep. and the fees now we put when you first submit your DA to council, you'll put a estimated build cost so that yep. they sort of factor up all your council fees and your footpath fees and all those sorts of things based on that. And that might have been something like, I don't know, I think 600000 But then it was a number of years after that that I actually did the build. And, it, you know, we're talking at least double that. Yeah. Ultimately, what it cost. So, so that even the fact the number that the architect will put on the DA application is usually like you know plucked a figure out of the air. What's it, what? How? What's the lowest number we can get away with? Mm. That doesn't sound ridiculous. Like we're trying to rot the system in a way, right? Yeah. And then I could decide. I oh, want gold taps, and you know everything plated with gold, and it, it costs three times purely because I've got expensive tastes. So, so Kent, the, in the ABS data, the, w- where does the, v- the value of the renovations figure, where is that derived from? Yes, yeah, so what I'll read off there is that data from their collection is, a, is provides timely estimates of future building activity, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously um, they do their best to survey and capture it all, but those anomalies that you just mentioned, same here, we went through it, we probably spent an extra 100K, those things aren't captured. But when you apply that same uh, factor or same error across the board, then it's great from a trend perspective, great to compare through time, great to compare between regions. So I think you know, rather than worrying about is it 5 or 10% under, as long as the error is consistent as long as those measurement errors are consistently there across all states uh, then it's a very powerful set of metrics um, to identify trends so just i just want to clarify one thing before we move on so ken the figures that the abs have in terms of the renovation cost or the build cost is that what has been supplied from councils correct right correct. so therefore Yes, what you say, the error could be enormous, but I would imagine the error in certain areas would be bigger than others. Like, so it could be a suburb or a, or a LGA-specific thing where 
you know, it might be double in some areas, the actual cost versus what's what's put on the application versus others where it might be closer. Is is that Does that show up? Well, um, I, I think what you've just reminded me of is a current problem that I think everyone will face. Time will be a big variable where construction costs are going up because of timber and other supply costs. So mm. I, think, uh, I think what we'll probably find is the biggest error will be time-based. Um, because of the significant cost. We've probably seen that social media post where they've got a pile of timber used in framing for the houses and they've got the pile of what it was cost, what it cost six months ago versus what it costs now. And, the, you know, the pile's about one quarter the size of what it was. So there's been some huge price changes for construction materials. So if you know any developers, certainly the developers I talk to, um, there's some trouble. There's some trouble out there because mm. they, um, yeah, they're, they're, if they're in locked into fixed price contracts, um, a fellow I know, very senior figure in the building industry, told me uh, there's a lot of builders in trouble because Ooh. of that. Okay, so we've included a link in the show notes to all of Kent's heat maps, so listeners can check and zoom into those local areas if they feel so inclined. But what is interesting, you know, we're talking about the difference in um, amount of money actually invested in renovation. We're talking about the fact that that skews median prices. So when you're looking at median price growth in these areas or in any area, the amount of renovation is going to impact that. And we've talked in the past many, many times about the construction or the consistency of what is it, the um, what actually makes up median prices. So in an area that might have different uh, segments, you know, they might have really cheap, like I always use Balmain as a great example because you've got workers' cottage, you know, you've got tiny little workers' cottages at one end of the spectrum and you've got waterfront, harbourfront homes at the other end of the spectrum. And if a lot of really expensive big homes sell in one period, then it's going to skew the median up. And if a lot of the smaller homes... Uh, a disproportionate amount of smaller homes sell in any given period, you're going to skew the median down. The reality is prices can be rising or falling um, and in, in opposite direction to whatever the median story is. And so this renovation story is actually another layer to that, to say that really, you know, we look at these areas, and this is challenging, I guess, my beliefs about these areas being the greatest for capital growth, because, you know, if people spend more money renovating properties in these areas because they're worth more, then clearly that's going to skew medians to look like they're rising at even a greater rate than other areas. So I might have to look at my own methodology here. So let's let's dig a bit deeper, Kent. What it, give us some more insights into what's underneath this data. Yeah, so obviously it includes the new building construction as well. And to your point about the medians is, you know, if you're in an area, we'll pick on, say, eastern suburbs north. You know, if, if the houses are being knocked down and a brand new one built and sold quite quickly to a fairly wealthy purchaser, then it's no different than a renovation, except it's probably amplified, obviously, because there's a lot of, but it's the same property, same mm. address, just a brand new house. So I think that's an interesting one. So what we've done is we've, We've got the, the usual suspects of your house and land areas where the big bucks, uh, obviously, totals are being spent. But uh, I'm going to start with New South Wales. And if we look at eastern suburbs north, there's – now, what I've done is I've taken the average building approvals count, the number, and the value of that over the last 24 months and taken the mean average. And it's 52 – rounding up $53 million per month in eastern suburbs north. Now, this is not a house and land area. It's a little bit built up. <laughs> and when you say eastern suburbs north, can you specify that for us? Yeah, so by and large, it's 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 uh, 
Clavelli Road north to the right, harbour. Right, got it. Okay, yeah. so pretty expensive. The Vaucluse is Row Bays, Rose Bays of the world. Paddington. Yeah, the true eastern suburbs, as yeah. my eastern suburbs friends would tell me when I lived in Coogee, <laughs> which was eastern suburbs south. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, so 53 million. So that's a, a, a really good example of a, an area where a lot of the money is being poured into renovation. Mm. So it's had growth, without a doubt. You know, we've seen, uh, you know, in the last 24 months, we've seen a 14% increase in, in price. Now, that's that's pretty good. But there are areas where it hasn't had that degree of renovation and the growth rate's been significantly higher. Mm. So that was the first one we picked out. Then I've got another one, which is Karingai. So what we're finding is a bit of a theme here is that these are established areas, they're wealthy areas, and people are renovating. And the next one was Karingai, and that was rounding up $57 million per Whoa. month. Now, that's um, that's got a lot of houses. The address count across that area is about 35,000, so it's a, a lot a lot bigger, whereas the eastern suburbs north was closer to 29,000. Yeah. So, it's about so- 20% more houses, but they're also spending, you know, a good, you know, well, spending a similar amount. So, you can see that the eastern suburbs are really spending money on a property basis but it makes sense as well because the properties are much more expensive so you probably want to spend more on them to um get your money back yeah well the sale median on this is you know 3.3 million for the east yeah and then it's uh 2.75 for karingai and you know i know this is sort of a different topic but everyone knows my favorite report the pain and gain report um if you worked in collaboration with Eliza Rowan for argument's sake at CoreLogic and it went, okay, because we know that certain properties sell, uh, there's a percentage of properties every quarter that sells at a loss, right? But that that report only looks at the top line. It doesn't take into account renovation costs. But it could, could you get this sort of data and in somehow apply a factor to the pain and gain data to get an estimate of actually how many more properties actually sold at a loss in a given time. I'd put it that CoreLogic would have access via Cordell's to individual property Ooh, data. Oh, yeah. even better. So there's no reason why they couldn't come up with a, a deeper dive version of that existing report mm-hmm. that actually looks at construction and or building approval data down to the property. Wow, I'm going to talk to Eliza, but we're interviewing her in a few more weeks and you know how much I love this report. So that, I'm going to say, come on, Eliza, do it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a few conflicts of interest here with CoreLogic. Though. I think um, the reality is a lot of their customers are developers and things like that. Um, they can make that pain and gain report extremely more painful as soon as they start to split up data like that, include buy costs, sell costs, um, and those numbers would blow out and tell the true story. Unfortunately, it sort of just gives you a an inkling of how bad things can be rather than the, the you know mm. the truth around what it is. Well, that's another that's a topic for another <laughs> another episode. <laughs> <laughs> would Would you like to move to another state? Yes, yes, please. Let's. So we're going to go to Victoria now. Victoria has all the action in terms of new house and land. That you know, the, the, it's amazing. You looked. At, I looked at the top five SA threes for uh, spend. You know, the building approval spend, and the top five nationally were all in Victoria. Mm. And those top five were all representative of those house and land areas, but they made up one eighth of all the expenditure. So one eighth of the whole country was made up 
in just five SA3s, all based in Victoria. Are they out yeah. of Melbourne it, suburbs or regional? They're all those out of, you know, so they're the Wyndhams. They're your Melton Bacchus Marsh type location. So it's where all the building activity is. It's game on in Victoria. Absolutely. And when you compare and contrast that to New South Wales, you realise that things aren't looking good for a first home buyer in New South Wales when you compare and contrast it to what the heck's going on in Well, Victoria. they're not looking good but for on our- first home buyers in Victoria if they're rushing off to buy that stock, though, either. So a, di- a, diff- a different well, not looking good, but, yeah. Different yeah, argument. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, and you look at the average lot size and that's a different argument. What is the again. average lot size? Do you tell? Uh, oh, well, the, the data that I've been looking at have been very, very small, under <gasps> 350. And we're talking 50Ks so- out from the CBD there, aren't we? A lot of them Whoa. are not 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 all of them are that far out, but you know I'll go back to the old days in my LMI. See how I said that in an old man's mm-hmm. voice. But all the big claims that we paid were these what we call green streets, these very very small lot size yeah. streets where all the all the houses were on top of each other, and all it took was one Commodore on bricks to change the whole profile <laughs> of the street. Yeah, and believe me, it happened. Oh no, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm it, sure exactly. You start to get some. Um, we've we've seen these on housing estates for clients as well, where they've gone from a very premium estate to, um, you know, they've started to turn into more investors and renters, and um, all of a sudden, you know, that's right. People parking on the grass, they don't care about it as much, and um, yeah, the whole state starts to lose its value because of the the, the shift in it um, quite fast, actually. Um, and so, these estates are, have always potentially. Um, yeah, they can, even if you feel like you've got the premium one, they can shift on you and all of a sudden, um, yeah, it's, it's becoming like everyone else. So um, with with regards to the theme of the focusing on the built-up areas, um, the standout here, all the numbers are so much bigger when it comes to Victoria and Melbourne. We're going to Borundara, um, which houses uh, quite a few of the wealthier eastern suburbs, Um locations 90 million yeah average yeah. per per month 90 million so you're talking now, this is Turak, not a, Pran, Hawthorne that sort of area no more no, than Camberwells and the um, right, Camberwells okay. is there's a lot of stuff there because I spent a bit of time there when I was down with Real Estate View and Real Estate Institute of Victoria. And these are big, beautiful mm. houses. Um, so there's a lot of activity going on there. 90 million a month. And what a 90 million over the last 24 months was the average. So there's not a lot of money being spent. And how spent many dwellings there. are there? Yeah. Um, it's 50, I'm rounding up, 52,000 address. It's quite count. a lot. It's a big, yeah. It's yeah. a big area, mm. it's a big map. Um, takes in quite a few suburbs but you know again the sale median 2.1 or 2.15 so just over 2 million Um, and the median price over the last 24 months has jumped by 13% in that area so when you consider how much money is being spent it does circle back to the point we're trying to make there's a lot of money going into it the question is how many of the properties selling are those new and or renovated? Yeah, I think can you answer that? When you look at the- oh, not today. Um, that's for another day. But uh, yeah, you, it, 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 it's something that you would want to scratch the surface and, and say, okay, hang on, is this a true thirteen percent increase over the last two years, or 
uh, is it significantly less because of the renovation Because in factor? those well, areas where you've got bigger houses, it, you know, maybe I'm wrong here and I'm always open to be proven wrong because it's a learning opportunity, right, just in case anyone thinks that I think I'm always right. But if they're in more established areas, larger blocks of land, those lovely period homes, people spend money renovating them, Typically, and what I find the equivalent sort of areas in Sydney, people are renovating those to live in and to live in for 20 years, you know. So so then even when properties do come on the market, it's really rare to get a recently renovated big family home in that type of area. Do you find mm. that, Chris, with your clients? You know, it's the, you find many of them buying a big, lovely period home that's been renovated to a really high standard. Oh, it's pretty rare. I mean, I can think of clients who have done that. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, a client bought in Bondi a couple of years ago and it was like an amazing reno um, and, you know, and it was super hot and they got it for a good price in the end. But, um, yeah, it's it's not that many, to be honest. It's usually unrenovated um, because I think you're right or it's been renovated, you know, 10 years ago and so it's aged a bit now. But, um, yeah, it's, I think you the flippers are probably this, not playing it. Yeah, they go for smaller stuff. That. Yeah, exactly. So and the investors are going for that stuff. So the big family homes and spending, you know, six hundred a million dollar on a bill, then you want to enjoy the benefits of that renovation. And um, and so yeah, I, I think there's definitely people who do it. You know, definitely in that sort of top end. You know, builders that um, basically renovate their own houses and sell them um, because it's all tax free growth. So it's a good strategy for people who can do building cheap. Um, but, yeah, it's not that common, right? People are usually renovating to live in it um, rather than to sell. If you want to profile the area, here's a quick snapshot of the um, census information that profiles Burundara. Now, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, 70% of family households, to your point. This is you know, family uh, dwellings. Fully owned. It's nearly 38%. So that's yeah. mm. well above the average um, for an area that's so, so expensive. So it's obviously it's a blue chip area. Mm. Yeah. And, and when you drive around there, as I have many, many times, you know, it's full of mansions. It's beautiful yeah. and expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, you could surmise that the impact of the renovations on these properties isn't necessarily actually reflected in the medians. I think a lot of people who are doing this type of work are doing it to, to live in it. The question more is we need to kind of look at, pull up the listings in the area uh, and, and look at how many are tick fully renovated or new. Mm. That would yeah, tell us. But also I imagine that there's a there's a turnover um, that you could see. And so areas, so say in inner Sydney, for instance, or even in inner Melbourne, I would imagine where there's smaller lot sizes like Richmond, areas like that, for instance, smaller lot sizes, more terraces or semis or whatever, um, and it's the same in the inner city, inner suburbs of Sydney, there's quite a lot more development activity um, and there's a lot of turnover because, you know, property gets bought, a year later it gets sold again in a new version. And that, that would be well, picked, able to be picked up, right? It's interesting though when you look at look at the you know what's happening in some of those areas that I made the assumption that there's lots of you know booming activity some of the average averages for some of the SA3s that I thought would be bigger um, mm. weren't as big so Leichhardt you know 14 mil mm. not as big as what I thought mm. Mm. That's just the average. So, um, so yeah. So that's an interesting one. I, there, so, so that sums up Victoria. 
Um, and yes, I, I think what you've got is a fair bit of activity in the inner ring areas, but um, certainly the, there's some interesting spots, things I want to get mm. to. Um, um, the one that's the standout for me is it's Caloundra up in Queensland. So I just changed states. Is Caloundra was much bigger than what I anticipated. It jumped off the map, and I didn't take Caloundra as a house and land area, but obviously it is based on these numbers. So there's a bit there, but. Stand out and what makes Caloundra so interesting is so much of its coastline. And these house and land areas are by and large are surrounded by land. Mm. And here's one that's got a stack, six, nearly 67 million average per month. And it's very, very coastal. So it's it's I think Caloundra is one to watch. It's just it's standing out for a lot of different reasons. Are they so the amount of money being spent. There, though, Kent? Yeah. And they must be building a lot of apartments there, right? Um, on the water. Well, but this is this is just I've just pulled out the houses here. So the data mm. here is just houses. Is so I've okay. removed the yep. unit data layer. Yeah, right. So, so it's, it's a lot wow. for a, for a spot like Caloundra. So that that was that was interesting. So um, so that kind of sums up that. Now I had a few interesting things. I had some notes here. So um, yeah, we. We, we covered off that the top five were in Victoria for the big ones. Um, the rest of the top 10 were made up of Brinjelli Green Valley. So this is traditional house and land. Geelong, again, we've spoken about Massive Geelong. We building. know it's lots yep. and lots of house and land. Yes, there's a bit of coast there, but it go, there's a lot of land inland Absolutely. from the, in that Geelong. So it's a big area. Yep. Blacktown North, we all know Blacktown North. Surf, surf Coast, Bellarine Peninsula, we know that as well. But again, a lot mm. of land. And the last one on it's good old Rouse Hill. Mm, well, you know, that, that was <laughs> so that, that, featured that, in our very first Suburge <laughs> Trends episode. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but the thing about it is it's the market dynamics of Rouse Hill have dramatically changed since our first program. Ah. So when we were watching it, it was very, very alarmingly high levels of mm. inventory. It's it's no longer a red dot on the map really? for me. So what's that happened shows there? how much yeah. desperation's in Sydney um, though, right? Because listings have come down just correct. because people are having to go further and further and um, – you know, just the you. the shortage of housing, and that this is just aligns with, you know, what you're saying there, Kent. Is there's not as much building going on in New South Wales, the house and land packages, um, as there is in Melbourne. Like in Melbourne, and I always feel like that when I go down to Melbourne. I, I maybe I go to the outer suburbs a bit more, but um, I do see that you know it's just estates and estates and estates. When you're flying in on the plane, you can sort of see it, um, you know, in the west and in the north, etc. But I think what's happening is they're just not releasing land as much in Sydney. And um, that's potentially protecting a lot of these house and land package areas because demand's pushing there and the supply's not outweighing demand. And so that's why you're still seeing price rises in these, um, you know, estates, whereas in Melbourne, um, they definitely aren't going up anywhere near as much. Well, I wouldn't want to be a first-home buyer in, in Sydney, period. I mean, if you had 600 mil, you, you're out. Forget about six hundred mil. Well, fine. <laughs> oh, sorry, six hundred thousand. God, I, I wouldn't mind six hundred yeah. mil. Sorry about that. I'm I'm being distracted. I've got dogs barking and kids in the background because it was the kids are still at home, so it's driving me nuts. I don't. Hopefully, you can't hear it. Um, so now, now it wouldn't be a show if I didn't mention a particular location. Oh, Logan. Yeah, what's that? Name? Of <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was thinking Jeez. of the Sorry. wrong show. I'm thinking of Suburb Trolls. <laughs> so, yeah, don't, don't go there. People will be deeply offended if they go off this show and listen to that one. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're doing a bit of a comparison. And um, Newcastle uh, 
had peaked in March at 61 million. Wow. This is not Newcastle, SA3 is not a house of land area, right? So there's a lot of stuff. So I kept on saying, everywhere I look, there's a, a, a another tradie or another DA popping up on my alerts. It's game on. Well, I can, now I understand why. It peaked 61 million of approvals in the month of March. The average over the last 24 months has been 30. Five million. Mm. So there's a lot of renovation. Now, compare and contrast that to a place called Wollongong, where you'd be familiar with. That peaked at 40 million in June 2021, and the average is 24 million. So there's a lot more money being spent relatively uh, in Newcastle than Wollongong. Is that to do well, with migration? We're, we're definitely seeing As some in- really interesting things in both of those um, cities. I think um, clients are now going to Newcastle. Like it wasn't happening before. We were getting uh, Novocastrians come to the Sydney, um, you know, work in Sydney during their 20s and they meet someone and maybe they try to settle down in Sydney. But a lot of those are priced out of the Sydney housing market. They're getting to that family stage. They're from Newcastle um, and they can get a lot more for their money up in Newcastle. So absolutely we would get – and Newcastle is – more attractive uh, for the people who wanted to explore the world um, in 2021 than it was when I grew up there, um, and so you know it's a bit more of a, a bit more happening, I guess. Um, and so people, you know, the Castrians would move back, but people who weren't from Newcastle wouldn't move to Newcastle. It was just too far. But absolutely, we're seeing it shift. We're seeing that people go to the Central Coast. They look at the Evokers. They look at the Yuminas, Edelongs, and then they go, actually, you know what? I don't really want to be in Lake Macquarie. I'd rather than just if I'm going to go that far, I might as well bypass that and go all the way into the, you know, the inner ring of Newcastle, like around the city and you know Merriweather, Adamstown, etc. The same things happening in Wollongong. We um, had lots of clients try to buy in the Thurules, the Bulleyes, um, etc. Uh, and now they are outpriced over there, and they all just want to buy, you know, the Mangatons and Coromiles and Fig Tree and all these suburbs just around the um, the train stations to the north and. There are lots of old housing in these areas. Like, you know, every house needs a reno, right? Um, and so I think these building numbers are going to go through the roof because they're going down there and their borrowing capacities are way more than they're, they're actually spending. Um, and just they, they can't spend that. Um, well, they just can't find the properties that they, they haven't got the deposit and they can't spend all their capacity. And so I think you're going to find those numbers are going to go through the roof, Kent, as Sydney-siders move, uh, oh. move north keep going yeah well i can see they're moving north moving south i mean i fig tree i have to mention it that that pocket up there i just i love it for so many reasons from a market perspective it's so isolated you've got coast and escarpment and rail it's just so few properties Mm. so it's quite from a from a you know a market analysis data perspective it just stacks up Mm. um now it wouldn't also be a show if i didn't mention my favorite spot byron well Representative of the Richmond Valley Coast, um, 37 million average per month. Now, it's been fairly stable and flat over the last uh, couple of years. 37 million. So it's a happening place. Yeah. You probably didn't already no, know no, that. No, no, I was right? wondering about that area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then you did mention Lake Macquarie. Well, Lake Macquarie is split into two Lake Macquarie East, Lake Macquarie West. Lake Macquarie West does have quite a few house and land. Lake Macquarie East, not as many, still no. has, has a fair bit of building activity, new stuff, uh, but it's 28 million. Mm. So it's it's up there too. So when you look at, you know, both Newcastle and Lake Macquarie East in one in one go, there's a lot of trade activity going on. So this on. is, hang on, this data is, oh, you've looked at a year's worth or? 
I've, I've looked at two years, I've downloaded two mm. years of data and I've tried to smooth it out. So what I've done is I've taken the mean average to come up with a monthly average. I've taken the mean of those 24 mm. months to come up with something that just wasn't driven by a Yeah, got it. So therefore it's hard to know what two years before that looked like. Be oh, it's all yeah. in there. I no, just no, no, didn't, I didn't. It's you know, beyond I, the remit. But it's all we there. Didn't. <laughs> yeah. It's only through talking through these, through this data that I go, oh, more questions, more questions. And you're like, oh, could you have thought of that one beforehand? Be yeah. I, and you normally I get tri tripped up. But uh, uh, this, this has been fascinating because I've always focused on uh, building approvals from the number, the mm. total, because I use it as a risk metric. When I analyse, mm. I say, what's the proportion of housing stock that's made up of new mm. new builds? And if it's above a threshold, I consider it a, a, a potential yeah. risk. Um, but this has been quite different. When you look at it with a, a dollar sign, uh, you have a newfound respect for it, especially <laughs> in those built built up areas, because it could mean one or two things. It could also mean uh, that there's a lot of money being injected in. There's a lot of people moving in and spending their money. Therefore, it's not a negative in terms of the the local economy or the housing market. So th th there's there's new investment in the area by owner occupiers yes, as yeah. opposed to, or in potentially then you've got developers that will fall in there because of course they see that and then they, they see the opportunity there as well. So it's an interesting um, interesting exercise to pull this apart, isn't it? It is, and then you've got the multiplier effect, so it's good for jobs. <laughs> it's good for jobs. Oh, dear. All right, so you're just about to say, Kent, what's our anomaly? Well, yeah, we, I was, but Chris took a, ta a deep breath there and I thought, he's got a big question. Yeah, I question. was going to say something, but I changed my mind. He's got something to say. Yeah, yeah. Why? I changed my mind. I thought, oh, that's probably not going to uh, add more value, so I thought I'd stop it there. <laughs> <laughs> now we're intrigued. Uh, now what? I want to know. You know those, those when someone says, oh, go and tell me, tell me, tell me. No, you really don't want to know. Tell me, tell me. And then they tell you well, and so it's be like, honest, oh, I yeah, think now. <laughs> one of the areas I do think um, it is interesting. I think the, the western suburbs and the fringe suburbs of Melbourne, I think that to me, when I look at this data, I'm just like, wow, that is a lot of money that's happening. But I also think in the south between the Gold Coast and Brisbane, um, and you look at how much the building's happening there as well. You know, the Gold Coast is becoming another hot market. We are getting that in conversations a lot, um, you know, where people are, say, willing to – it's an interesting thing for people to leave um, Sydney for. It's like it's definitely a – a comfort factor there and people really want to go and see what it's like on the ground but it's like some area that people are definitely considering to go to and that's always that land there's all constrict um you know restricted because you've got escarpments and water and um you know lakes and all that sort of stuff but that that land between brisbane and gold coast there's just so much flat land there's a lot of it and there. if you look at this map it just shows that that is where the hunting ground for developers is going to be, right? Um, and they're building, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of um, per month of approvals that are going through. Um, and um, they could go and on that's for a, long a really time. good segue. That's a good segue because my anomaly is the Gold Coast hinterland. Ooh, do tell. <laughs> the, and it wasn't even right, set up that way, Chris. You took no, that no, deep no, breath, no, and we perfect. That's why I, that's why I grabbed it and I spoke over the top so rudely. <laughs> but um, so my, my actually my anomaly is the Gold Coast hinterland because I expected it to be bigger. I expected to see a lot more. So it peaked at sixteen Ooh, million. In not March. much at all. So that's its peak, and the average is six mil over the last twenty four months. So 
Ah, Gold Casino Land. I want to go to the map. Go, going Just to the go, map. I'm looking up here. Go to the map. Go to the map. Go to the map. Um, Jim Booba, no, I'm going to scroll around the map almost. There you go. Gold Coast Central Land. Address count, 11,000. So it's okay. not big. Yeah. They're all kind of spread out. So, it, you know, probably made up with a lot of mountains and a lot of escarpment. But yep. there's still a lot of land. It's a mm. big area. It's a and big area. Big houses, so, right? so therefore you'd spend more money when you have to renovate a big house. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's all houses pretty much, 97% yeah. houses. Mm. There's really no... Not much activity. There's yeah, five percent of a units or apartments. That, I think what you'll find there as well. Typically, people would have upgraded within Gold Coast, so they wouldn't have you know gone done the big reno. If you need a bigger house, you just sell and you buy again. Um, what you'll find now is that the the interstate buyers will be pricing out the locals. The locals will be forced to then just renovate. Um, and uh, I think you'll find that the higher price leads to more renovation also allows people to renovate more with not worried about overcapitalizing um you know you can spend 300 and know that you're going to get that back because you're going to sell your place for at least 500 grand more um plus what you're going to add from a reno so i think what you've you'll see in a lot of these areas that the higher prices rising um prices leads to a rise in renovation so i think if we did this in 12 months time i think you'll find that those those stats will, will flip the other way um don't know what do you think ken I don't know, but I've been uh, eyeing off Corumban Valley. I quite like okay, it. I it's could lovely live there. up there. <laughs> <laughs> it's very lovely. But it does get really sticky in summer. It's all right. That's what air conditioning and swimming pools are for. <laughs> <laughs> You're not an environmentalist, are you? We well, could, you know, just make sure you put your solar panels up there, but there's too many trees. Yeah. True. I mean, I, I've, because um, we built a new house here, everything's like I've got water tanks here, I've got. More solar panels creating more energy than I can use, so I'm pumping it out to the street. So I'm greeny as I'm super green. greeny as. <laughs> well, it's good to hear. I actually can't get solar panels on my roof because they've got trees overhanging, which is really annoying. So um, yeah, I wired it all up and then found out couldn't. There's no space to put them until they actually read or the technology actually makes them more sensitive to less light, and then then we're good. Oh. Hmm. Anyway, there you go. There you go. So there you go. That's um, now I've got. So what we've got here, we've got three states covered with SA three heat maps that look at uh, uh, building approvals, total building approval uh, from a uh, total spend expenditure dollar value perspective um, for houses only, not units. And then I've also got the SA three time series going back twenty four months. So every SA three nationally. Is, has a time series chart there as well on this page. So there you go. Thank you very I much. Think we haven't done, done the We've units, got- but I do think the units are something that we would be interesting to do. You know, maybe you know in six, twelve months' time. I think you'll find the data is pretty obvious. There's been no demand for um, apartments, um, building approvals, and uh, have gone through the floor compared to what they were like in that 2015 to 2020 or 2019 sort of period. Um, but I think what we're also seeing is um, buyers come to us who are looking to buy off the plan um, and uh, or have, uh, you know, or are considering it because 
the reality is they're missing out in the housing market. They're looking around and they're looking for solutions. And so I think what you're going to start to see is uh, developers start coming to market because they know they can sell it. There's so much desperation out there for, um, and so they can start selling these apartments again. So uh, I think you're going to find in the next couple of years because of high prices, that means developers can sell apartments for more money. And so building approvals for apartments will start, will start going through a bo- building boom again. And that will happen across Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. Um, and so whenever there's more demand, they build more. And so that's why you've got to be very careful when you, you play in these um, high-density space. True, but the cost of building is going up as well. So that's another pressure on prices. So, yeah, I think – so we've put you on notice, Kent. Six months' time, we won't do one on, on units. But uh, any ideas for next time we meet? Oh, I'm so ready for this. <laughs> build to rent. Ooh. Build to rent. Multifamily. Mm-hmm. Now, here's my theory. Here's my hypothesis. Okay. Um, they are going to be all in Australia. It's not going to be a ma and pa owning a multifamily like in America. It's going to be a corporate landlord with lots of advantages, uh, tax advantages, um, lower cost, lower operating costs, economies of scale. And I, I'm holding out the theory that it's another layer of risk for an apartment investor or an apartment Absolutely. buyer that now needs to be factored Ooh. in because you are going to be crowded out in my humble Interesting. opinion. Interesting. So mum and dad investors are under, there's a threat there, a looming headwind. Another layer. A looming headwind. Another layer of risk in a in a multi-layered cake of risk already for okay. apartments. Okay. Well, let's, and so you've got some, you know, you've got obviously got some tricky little plans to actually come up with some some information, data, data-led information in our next, in our next meeting. We look forward to that. And And uh, thanks again, Ken. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ken. I think that's a really interesting one next month. I think um, all the big players are going into this space. Every developer um, is is moving to this off the the plan. Um, And they're all corporates. They're all going to be corporate landlords. They're all going to be too big to fail, Mm. right? So they're already getting the tax concessions lining Mm. up. They're going to be borrowing at funny money rates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm You do not want to compete with a multinational. Yeah. Sorry. And the super funds are going in this space. Adam Hurst, who was on this podcast, who was working at Mervac at the time, he's gone and mm. opened up his own build-to-rent building company. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they're, just, they're looking for long, sustainable income for their super funds, right? Uh, an asset they can sort of put money into and know that that's going to give income for their for their members. And build-to-rent makes a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting one to keep talking about. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or north shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.